Hello and welcome to this VG Oncology podcast. We are a global, open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in oncology. Today, we will be discussing updates in immunotherapy for breast cancer, which were presented at the 2021 ESMO Breast Cancer Virtual Meeting. First up, Rebecca Dent of the National Cancer Centre Singapore talks on the role of immuno-oncology in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer. As many of you know, um, many years ago, we identified that if there was a subgroup of patients with breast cancer that might benefit from um, immune checkpoint inhibition, it was going to be triple negative. And the reason being is that there were some hints looking at the biomarkers that we're aware of, such as looking at TILS, um, looking at pdl one positivity, looking at the mutational burden. All of these seemed higher in the triple negative subset. And like, so these are the patients we thought would be the most likely to benefit from immune checkpoint inhibition. Now, what you see in the clinical setting is the earlier line of therapy uh, in the metastatic setting, the more likely patients are to benefit, but it's a small group of patients, especially when you're only giving single agent and hence there really isn't approval for single agent therapy. As we know, there are two large randomized trials looking at chemo plus immune checkpoint inhibition that suggests an improvement in PFS and also show hints of improvements of an overall survival, which is why we saw approval by the FDA of atezolizumab plus nabpaclodaxel. Now, there were some differences between 130 and 131. That's the impassion 130 and 131. One is with nabpaclodaxel and one is with solvent-based paclitaxel. And I think there, that's a whole nother discussion in itself. But I think it really speaks to me that you know triple negative is such a heterogeneous disease. And I think when we do different trials of triple negative, you know, there are certain confounders that we can measure, but there are a lot of confounders that we cannot measure. And so I think, you know, it's possible that these results, you know, happen by chance, um, or is it there are confounders that we're not measuring? And again, because triple negative is a diagnosis of exclusion, we don't know what different buckets of patients might look like. In the clinical setting, we know that there are patients that we recruit to a first-line trial that have rapidly progressive disease that are, you know, potentially going to get sick very quickly. And then there are others that actually do quite well. And I think we, we can't, we don't have other ways of measuring that right now. Now, when it comes to uh, early breast cancer, I think we all hypothesize that the earlier the patients are treated, the likely the more immunogenic these tumors are. And so what we see so, from, so far in the trials that have been done, we have three neoadjuvant trials two of which Keynote 522 and the Impassion 030 study show us that in early breast cancer, it shows improvements in pathological complete response and certainly in Keynote 522, an early trend towards improvement in event-free survival. And I think that is probably due to the fact, again, it's this early breast cancer, these tumors are still potentially uh, immunogenic. And what we see then is that there was no difference between the pd one and pd one negative. Um, and that might be the reason why. And so I think many of us are keen to see the long-term follow-up data of free survival because we anticipate that we may see benefits in terms of EFS. And we don't know how well PCR correlates with long-term EFS because all of that data, um, all the validation studies looking at PCR as a surrogate are actually in patients treated with chemotherapy. And so I think we're all you know, keen to see the long-term event-free survival data. And again, especially from Keynote 522. Um, I think the only caveat is, you know, we need to see also the long-term toxicity and see how well that is because it's not necessarily in the early breast cancer. Like while they're on chemo, we suspect a lot of the toxicity might be there. Um, but there was 
to be honest, not a huge increase there, but there were some rare toxicities that we just want to make sure in long-term follow-up that that doesn't change. So I'm really quite excited and optimistic um, about what these longer-term follow-up studies show us. Uh, I think the onus on us, though, is also to potentially identify who these are patients that benefit. And I was just talking now about platinum. You know, we've been working on this for more than 10 years. We all know there's a group of patients that clearly benefit with the addition of platinum. And I worry we might be in the same situation you know, trying to identify the patients that benefit from immunotherapy. Um, but I think we'll just have to see what these updated results show. And certainly all the different tumor types are going to have to work together because I think we certainly do need a biomarker. And that might be different in the neoadjuvant and in the metastatic setting. Next, Rupert Barch from the Medical University of Vienna discusses the use of antibody drug conjugates in the treatment of HER2-positive and HER2-low breast cancer. It's my pleasure now to give you a short overview about recent developments in the field of antibody drug conjugates in the focus on HER2-positive breast cancer. But as you know, it's not just in HER2-positive breast cancer, but antibody drug conjugates are also important or will be soon important in HER2-low breast cancer, new subtype of breast cancer, and if we think of secutuzumab covid can also in triple negative breast cancer. The the whole story, of course, started with TDM1, tristuzumab emtanzin. So the conjugate of tristuzumab and the mitanzin derivative, a microtubule inhibitor bound to tristuzumab. TDM1 is still the standard treatment approach in second line in HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer, a highly active drug. But there are two issues, of course. One is that eventually patients will still progress, so we need other treatment options from the third-line setting on. And then, of course, the the standard HER2-directed drugs, such as tristuzumab, pertuzumab, and also TDM1, are now being widely used in the neoadjuvant, adjuvant, and post-neoadjuvant settings. So there will be situations if patients progress after all these standard treatment approaches in early stage breast cancer where completely novel drugs will be needed. And uh, just recently, the European Medicines Agency has approved approved two novel drugs. One is tucatinib, the third generation tyrosine kinase inhibitor in combination with capecitabine and trastuzumab, the drug that has shown high activity improvement of progression-free survival and overall survival, and especially considerable activity in patients with active brain metastasis. And then, of course, tristuzumab deruxtecan, the third-generation antibody drug conjugate. And that's a conjugate, again, of tristuzumab and the topoisomerase 1 inhibitor, deruxtecan. And this is a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor with a very high inhibitory activity. It's about tenfold higher than SN38, which is the active metabolite of irinotecan. And it also has a higher drug-to-antibody ratio, which is in the range of about 8 to 1. And in addition, the chemotherapeutic agent, Deruxtecan, has an increased membrane permeability. So a bystander effect can be believed that it happens, So, which means that we are able to overcome disease heterogeneity. What data do we have for tristuzumab deruxtecan? Well, it has been approved based upon the single-arm phase two trial, Destiny Presto 1. 
And the heavily pretreated patients that received the median of six prior treatment lines received single-agent trastuzumab deruxtecan. And as you know, a very high response rate has been observed in excess of 60%. And at the 2020 Virtual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, a prolonged progression-free survival in the range of 19 months was observed. So this shows the very high activity of trastuzumab deruxtecan. Of course, there is the caveat that these data come from a single arm phase two trial, and we are still awaiting the randomized data, which I believe to be available this year. What else do we know about trastuzumab deruxtecan? Well, the most important toxicity perhaps, which occurs in the range of about 15% of patients, is ILD pneumonitis. This is something the physicians and the patients both need to be aware of and the patients need to be properly informed. Often it's low grade, it usually happens relatively early on during the first six to 12 months of treatment with a lower risk during the later treatment period. Important to react promptly to the diagnosis of, of ILD interruption of treatment, permanent stop of trastuzumab deruxtecan if grade two or higher ILD occurs and quick initiation of corticosteroids. So usually the, the issue of ILD is manageable with these measures. It's important to see that trastuzumab deruxtecan also has activity in a new subtype of breast cancer, newly defined subtype of breast cancer, which we call the HER2 low expressing patients. HER2 low expressing means less HER2 protein in the cell membrane by immune histochemistry, so 1 plus or 2 plus, not 3 plus, and in case of 2 plus, no HER2 new gene amplification. It shows considerable activity there as well. It's the first HER2 directed agent that also has activity in the subset of HER2 low patients. And it's important to realize that TDXD is not the only of those novel antibody drug conjugates, but there are several in clinical development. For example, one being SID985, tristuzumab ducamycin, which is a conjugate of tristuzumab again and the alkylating agent ducamycin. When we look at different other breast cancer subtypes, such as uh, triple negative, there is also a great need for novel treatment options. Of course, immunotherapy has some activity there, but uh, the focus is also there on antibody drug conjugates. And perhaps the most promising drug is uh, sacrituzumab covitikin, which was shown in the phase three ESSENT trial to provide significant high activity than conventional chemotherapy in pretreated patients with a clinically relevant and statistically significant prolongation of progression-free survival and overall survival as well. In summary, I think with better understanding of the antibody drug conjugate technology, uh, these class of drugs will see further use in the different breast cancer subtypes. They are very, very promising. And trastuzumab deruxtecan, of course, is one of the most interesting agents in this field. Finally, Marlene Cole of the Netherlands Cancer Institute in Amsterdam outlines the latest data on immunotherapy combinations in the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer. It's a pleasure to uh, 
to talk to you today about what we have been discussing at uh, Asthma Breast Cancer in the educational session on immunotherapy for metastatic uh, triple negative breast cancer or uh, metastatic breast cancer to say, because we also shortly discuss the options in uh, ear positive and HER2 positive breast cancer. So my specific talk after the fantastic talks of um, Professor Gorliano and Professor Loy, my talk was focused on combination immunotherapy. So immunotherapy plus another immune therapy and these developments in uh, mainly triple negative breast cancer. In summary, the field is still waiting for the novel breakthrough. So basically the novel NTPD2, since now uh, we are still working with NTPD1. Uh, there's no breakthrough regarding like a novel immune therapy that will make a quick move to the first line. But I think there are interesting data on together with NTPD1, how we can change the tumor microenvironment. Um, so we discussed data, for example, on novel immune checkpoint blocking uh, uh, antibodies, uh, mainly still targeting the T cells, for example, anti-LAC3, of which we will see data in, at ESCO in melanoma, a positive phase three trial. And looking forward to see how those data can be applied to, to breast cancer. Um, we shortly discussed anti-CTLA4, that is a little bit disappointing in the field of breast cancer. Not, not so many studies have been focusing on that uh, target. I really think that that can induce durable responses, which is so important for, uh, for patients with metastatic disease. Other options we discussed uh, were more the cytokine-based treatments. So, uh, for example, the compound called uh, uh, Nectar 214. It's, uh, it's IL-2-based in which you can stimulate effector cells in a really broad manner, which have shown, uh, I think, very interesting data especially in the pd one negative population, for which we know that anti-PD-1 blockade, uh, you know, some patients respond, but the majority not. So uh, stimulating in that uh, specific group of triple negative breast cancer might be very important. And we've also seen data on uh, oncolytic viruses, on therapies that you can inject in the breast tumor to mimic a virus, for example, uh, uh, treatment based uh, on uh, sting agonists, for example. But everything is still in phase one, early phase two. Um, control arms are missing. So it's a bit hard to predict what will be, uh, you know, the future for our patients. But at least we see that many initiatives are around this IO-IO uh, combination. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VG Oncology and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with us. Visit vgoncology.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves, as well as exclusive coverage in the field of breast cancer. Be sure to subscribe to VG Oncology podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.